to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going to be finishing up uh, today, hopefully, the series on the looking back, the looking back as we look forward, or looking forward as we look back uh, service. And I you notice this is the same text that I used as the last point of the sermon last week, and it just, the Lord really just laid this upon my heart, and I really feel like I don't usually do this. <laughs> we don't usually, we stick in a book usually, but this, this text I, I want you to see this morning. is the beginning of 2023. I, I want this text to be so upon your heart for 2023 that it, it, it's like an anchor, <laughs> an anchor of the soul for 2023. So let's read, uh, and we'll be starting in verse 28, and we'll go down to verse 32, and then uh, I'll pray for us. God's Word says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let's pray. Lord, there is just a particular glory in this text that I pray you would show all of us as you've shown me. And Father, it is just by grace. All is by grace. But so, Lord, we ask this morning that you'd show us your particular beauty from your word, that we would see and behold the Lord Jesus in a way that, Lord, would transform us, that, Lord, we would see and behold our own sinfulness, that we'd see and behold your grace and kindness in Christ. And, Lord, we would be different in light of it. Help us to this end, we pray. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in 20, 2022, uh, Ligonier, if, you know, if you're familiar with Ligonier, it would be with R.C. Sproul's ministry. Uh, they put out something every year called the Statement of Theology. And it's basically uh, like, a, like a survey of what people actually believe within evangelical circles. And I want, to, I want to put two before you today, just as a way to enter, enter our time in. This is the first one, and they might be kind of blurry, but I'll give you what... So here's the question they ask, or like the, the statement they make, and then people are supposed to agree or disagree in evangelical circles. And the question was, everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. Okay? So that's the question, or like the statement, and people are supposed to say, do we agree or do we disagree? And evangelicals in 2022, what they said was 65% agreed. And I want to just let me translate what that means. What that means is 65% of people who claim they're born-again Christians believe they're not really sinful, or that everyone has been born in this non-sinful state. Only 32% believe they're actually basically 
not innocent in the eyes of God. That's, that's a very like, whoa. Okay, let me give you another one. This is statement 16. These are just two. There, there's like 50 statements. Here's another statement. The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. Okay, that's the statement. Now, now I hope we were all like, that's not true. The Bible is true in all that it says. I want you to see the trends from 2014. 2014, 41% of evangelicals agreed with that. Just so we're clear, this question alone should be, if you agree with this, you're not an evangelical. (laughs) Like, that means you're not an evangelical. But they don't know that. So 41% of people think they're evangelicals who think that the Bible is not really true. Now you think 41%, that's huge. Well, 2016 is 44. 2018 is 47. 2020 is 48. 2022, it's 53%. And if you see, if you see the line, if it continues to trend by 2030, we're going to have, if this trend continues, 60, over 60% of evangelicals will believe the Bible is not true. That, that should be like, oh, what? What are you talking about? And this is, again, you, could, you can continue to read it. I really encourage you to read it because it, it gives a statement at some level of the state of the church that, that is current in America. And I'm hoping to do a sermon at some point on the state of the church at some point. I really want to do that at some point this year. I think it'll be really good for us. But let me ask you a question. In light of these two things, what hope do we have? What hope do we have? Now, Jesus promised that he would build his church and the gates of hell wouldn't overcome it. And my desire for you this morning, and I think for you in just 2023 is to see that your faith in God's future grace is not dependent on you. It's not dependent, and again, I I see that trending, and that's very disappointing. That's very upsetting to me. But it's not defeating to me. I don't don't walk around and say, well, we're we're done for, guys. We're just all, the, the state of the church is just liberal, it's secular, just let it go. It's a wash. It's not. There is deep hope deep, abiding hope. And the question is, where do we see that? Where do we see hope? In light of what we see, where is their hope? Well, let me give you the text. Go back to, to Romans 8, if you look down in your, your Bible. So look, we're going we're gonna to mainly focus on verses 31 and 32, but in order to understand 31 and 32, you have to go back a little bit. So Romans 8, 31 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the question is, since God is for us, who can be against us? Now, I want to ask you a question. How could he ask such a question like that? Now, the book of Romans was written in a time that people were getting a lot worse than just not believing the Bible. They were being persecuted. They were being killed for their faith. And he can say the thing. He can say, if God is for us, who could be against us? How on earth could you ask a question like that? So I want you to see if you're taking notes. Just the question. Here's the question. Who can be against us? Who can be against us? And there must be some basic basis for this rhetorical question. Because you know where Paul's going with this. You know the answer is no one. But there has to be a basis, a foundation for these things. And I want you to look back to verse 28. Another, we could could spend 
two, two years, talking about verse 28 and the profundity for, that it is. But he says in verse 28, and we know that all, that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I want you to see in this, starting in verse 28, the basis for hope. And I'm calling it the, the root system, if you will. The root system. Now, I want you to think about for a minute in your mind, picture with me. I like pictures, so I'm, I'm going to give you one. Think of an oak tree. A ginormous oak tree. When you think about the oak tree, you have to think about, at some point, that oak tree was simply a little acorn. It was a little tiny thing that at one point had, had a sapling that was very weak, and appears very weak and very fragile. And some trees, some 200 years they can live. They can be huge and ginormous. The tree will provide shade, habitation. Maybe even children are able to swing in the limbs of these trees. Now on the surface, that tree doesn't look actually, even if it's a huge tree, doesn't look all that magnificent. But something we're never privy to with that 200-year-old oak tree is the root system. If you dig up a 200-year-old oak tree, the root system is unbelievable. It goes to depths that are just profound. It extends to places that we would never imagine a root system could go. How could a root system do that? And in the same way, I think what Paul's arguing here is that your faith, which is like that oak tree, is is, is like the oak tree in that sense. And there's a root system that is so deep that it extends before the foundations of the world. Now, now, I want to be clear with something. We're going to be talking about something that's not necessarily just privy to what we see. We're, We're looking at something that has happened in eternity past. And Paul's whole point is God is the ultimate cause behind your salvation. God is the cause. Now, this does not remove the need for faith, to exercise faith. You need faith. But what Paul's doing here is assuring the believer that the faith will achieve its goal. Now listen to what he says. So he, he makes a profound statement and says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's all things. That means sickness. That means death. That means persecution. All things work together for good. But then he can make a profound statement that he's about to in verse 29. And he can say, for those who he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Or as some translations, and I think is very helpful, say, because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that his son would be the first, firstborn among many brothers and sisters. This passage is what's known as the golden chain of redemption. Now, the golden chain of redemption is simply the chain that there are logical connections to the logical ordering of salvation. It means that your salvation, as you sit here in these pews, if you're a Christian, if you have trusted in Christ, if you are His, extends far before, far before your choice to follow Jesus. It extended into eternity past Notice that first word that he uses. Let's, and we'll just walk through each one in their logical order. Here's the first one. Foreknown. The first one is foreknown, 
which very simply is just to new, new beforehand. Now again, we're not talking about, I want to be very clear, we're not talking about the temporal ordering of our salvation. We're talking about the logical ordering of our salvation. And that logic, your logic, as you sit here in the pew, extends before creation. Extends before you get to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God knew you. And that is a profound, that is a profundity that I think I'll honestly stand for eternity and wonder at. Listen to what he says. Because those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So that foreknowledge, we see it elsewhere. It's not just simply in Romans. Ephesians, again, Paul says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before, before him. God knew what we would be like. He wasn't surprised, and it's actually in spite of what you are and what he knows you will be that he chose you. I want you to think about that for a second. That God didn't say, look, Daniel, he'll have faith. He's a good little boy. He looked at me in all my grotesqueness, all my sin, all my rebellion, and he said, that one's mine. That one's mine. And how do you know this? Go to the next one. Here's the first one. So he foreknew us. Here's the next one. And read it in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So the second is predestined, which simply is to just determine us. He decided upon beforehand. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So I want you to notice that conformity to the image of his son. And I want to be clear, we are made in the image of God, and the image of God that that Paul's referencing here is actually Christ. So Christ is the image of God, and me and you are made in the image of Christ in that sense. And that's something that took place before the foundations of the world. So for, for Moses to write, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created them, The question is, what is that image? And the answer is Jesus. That is profound. The image of God was setting forward to humans what we were based upon, which is God the Son. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Paul is saying, this is from, uh, I think it's... uh, One commentator, he said this, he says, Paul is saying that God is the author of our salvation, that from beginning to end, we are not to think that God can take action only when we graciously give him permission, which is what exactly he says in in Ephesians later. He says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Okay, so that's the second one. Here's the third one. The third one is called. He has called us. And again, we need to be clear. This is the logical ordering, not the temporal ordering. When I say temporal ordering, what I mean is it didn't take place in time, space, history. Because God is eternal. We are, are not eternal in that sense. But He is eternal. So called. He chose us. Or chose, yeah, chose us. That would be one way to say it. And in verse 30, he goes on and he says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. So it's the next piece. And calling simply describes the effects of saving grace on a person, which comes through the gospel message. 
So it's directly tied to our reception of the gospel message. And in 2 Thessalonians, Paul says the same thing. He says, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. This effectual calling is simply the calling of God with things like we see, let there be light, or Lazarus, come out. It's the effectual calling that says, Daniel, arise. Here's faith. Wake up. His call of the gospel on the heart of the believer accomplishes its purpose. So it, it's, he's, he's foreknown us, he's predestined us, he's called us, he's also, don't miss this fourth one, he's justified us. He's declared us right. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. And a person, if you know, this is why I want you to see, this is not apart from faith. This logical ordering is not apart from faith. Paul's whole point here is that it's that faith is, is within it, and the faith will be accomplished. Which is why he says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified apart from works of the law. And the one who has been effectually called has been justified. And he is the one who's declared right. And then this last piece, don't miss this last piece glorified. It's made us holy. The one who has been effectually called has been justified, and that to be glorified then is the future reality of believers. But notice even the way he speaks of it. He speaks of it even in the past tense. He doesn't say it's something that, that, that might happen. He says, you've been glorified. (laughs) And Paul's whole point is the next question of what he just asks then in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If we, if God has foreknown us before the foundation of the world, if he he has declared us right, if he's predestined us, if he's called us, if he's justified us, and he will glorify us, his question is, what shall stand in the way of that? What on earth could stand in the way of that? Can anything be against God in these purposes? It is, is it possible for anything to stand in this way? The logic is simple, and it's very simply this. If you're a Christian, you will be glorified someday because you've been declared righteous. You've been declared righteous because God called you in the gospel. You've been called in the gospel because God determined who will be his children And he determined you to come to him in his perfect foreknowledge. Very simply, you are unworthy to receive the gospel. But praise be to God that he has brought the gospel to us. 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this exact same thing to the Thessalonians when he gives thanksgiving for them. Listen to what he says. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. That is the foreknowledge piece. That we know he's he's chosen us. How? How do you know? Here it is, verse, verse 5. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And Paul's whole point to this whole thing is what could ever stand against you? And this has great implications for you this year. What could effectively tear down the oak tree of your faith? 
And Paul's answer is nothing. No one. Who could destroy it? Who could rip it up from its roots? And the answer is no one. There is no one that could rip it up. So the answer is simply no one. Now, Paul never answers this question, but he implies it the whole way down. And he, he, he asks several rhetorical questions, but we're just going to look at this one. In verse 32, listen to what his, his logic is even further. So he says that he, so verse 31, go back to verse 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Implied, no one. But he answers in verse 32, he, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? I want you to ponder that for a second. The one who did not give up his only son, or, or the one who, who, who did not withhold his only son from you, how will he not graciously give us everything? He did not spare. That means he withheld nothing. God the Father did not hold back His only Son on our behalf. He did not hold anything back from punishing His only Son in our place. First Peter, Peter says the exact same, similar logic of Him not sparing His only Son. Listen to what he says. He says, for to this you've been called. There it is again, the same calling, the effectual calling. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And here it is, the same logic. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. Don't miss that last piece that he himself bore our sins so that we might die to sin. Your holiness is so important to God that he literally sent his son to bear our sins on the tree that we might die to our sin and live to righteousness. Christ bore our punishment. The blows which were meant for me deservedly were absorbed by him. Paul says in another place, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And this is abundantly good news for me and you. And the question again, as Paul's asking it, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up and then you could put for, for us all, for rebels and sinners and people who were undeserving of it. He can go on to say, how will he not also graciously give us all things? So there's going to come a point, I, I, I'm guessing, just a, not a prophet, I'm just a, a guesser in this way. In 2023, there's going to come a point where you're going to wonder, is God really in this? Is God, really, is God really sovereign over this? Because I really don't understand how this could be happening and God's still sovereign over it. And it's this promise I want it to, to sink so deeply into us in 2023. It's all things. His life for ours. And if God the Father is willing to send His Son for us, how will He not graciously give us everything? Everything. 
can we really get behind this concept of all things? Is God really going to give us all things? We could think of all the things in 2022 that we esteemed as good that God didn't give us. Health, safety, success, a spouse, believing children. could be any of those things. And many more could be added to it. Shouldn't that be evidence for all the good things that aren't going to come to pass in 2023? So we need to define well what Paul means by all things. And I want you to see it. Look again in verse 31, and I'll show you. So what, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And I would, I would it'd be maybe more helpful to add, if God is for us, who can successfully be against us? Believing Christians, or believing Christ, is believing His grace for tomorrow. And I think there are two barriers for this, for us this year, in 2023. There are two barriers for, for believing these all things, his life for ours. And I want to give you the first one. So the first one is desires, all the I wants, desires. I want this new job. I want this new car. I want this new better husband or better wife. And we could sit and name off all the I wants all day long. But when we think about all of these things that are our fleshly desires, if that's what we think God means here by all things, we're going to end up frustrated, we're going to end up disappointed, and ultimately we'll begin to doubt what God is doing. So the all things cannot simply just be my new Lamborghini in the car or in the, in the driveway. That can't be the all things. All things cannot simply be fleshly desires. This is the same logic that Jesus uses in John 14 when he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything, so these all things I would put in the same logic of anything in my name, I will do it. The problem with asking for lesser things is not the thing itself. The problem is the smallness of the thing. C.S. Lewis has this quote, and I've used it before, and I'll continue to use it because it's so helpful. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition and and when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go about making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And your problem and my problem and all of our problems is not our desires, but that our desires value things that are of least important. I want that to sink in. Because nothing will successfully, nothing will successfully inhibit what God is doing in 2023. So we can have confidence in two things. I want you to see at the very top, get nothing else from today, get this. Since nothing can stand against us in Christ, we can have abiding confidence for tomorrow. We can have abiding confidence for tomorrow. I want to give you two confidences. Here's the first one. Confidence for joy or confidence in joy. And I would just write satisfied. 
true, lasting, abiding satisfaction can be found. Listen to Paul in another place. If you just read the Apostle Paul, this is all over the Apostle Paul. This is what he says in another place. He says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And his whole logic is, all things are yours. And the all things I want you to see is a confidence in the joy that it is to know Jesus. Which is why Paul can later write in verses, literally just a few verses down, jump just a few verses down, verses 38. He says, listen to what he says. Listen to his ironclad logic of it. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, notice the terrible things he mentions. I cannot promise you 2023 will be your best year yet. I won't promise it. If you're looking for those kind of things, Paul's saying that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, but what I can promise you is what he says in verse 39, that nothing, Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can separate you from true, everlasting joy in Jesus Christ. Which is why he can later say, or say just before this, that we're conquerors. And I love what Piper says. He says, we overwhelmingly conquer, not by escaping these terrible things, but by watching God turn these enemies of our joy into servants of our good. It's beginning to believe what the psalmist says when he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Listen to Piper again. I love this. He says, the great promise of future grace, guaranteed by the the logic of Romans 8.32, is that nothing will ever enter your experience as God's child that by His sovereign grace will not turn out to be a benefit to you. I want you to hear that one more time. That there is nothing by God's sovereign grace that will not turn out to be a benefit to you. And this is what it means to be, to, to be, this is what it means for God to be God, and for God to be for you, and for God to be freely, to freely give you all things in Christ. Since nothing, brothers and sisters, can stand against us in Christ, we have abiding confidence for tomorrow. And it's confidence and joy. Let me give you a second barrier. And it's the barrier of expectations. And these are all the I shoulds. It's the barrier of expectations. And they sound like this. I should have enough money. I should have love for my husband. I should have respect for my children, for my, from my children. I should have a boss who treats me well. I should have friends that value me. And I want to be very clear. Those things are not bad. All the shoulds we have, again, they're not bad things. But they're not ultimate. They are not ultimate, and they are not what's promised. So who can successfully be against us? So that's the, that's the barrier of, of false expectations. Let me give you the final confidence. And it's confidence for needs. 
I have. Confidence for needs, I have. Just listen to one other place from the Apostle Paul, what he says. He can say confidently, in 2 Corinthians 4, he says the same logic. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, to be clear, the treasure is the message of the gospel. The jars of clay are us. And he says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And now listen to what he describes. This could be your 2023. I'm not going to promise you 2023 is going to be a picnic because I don't know. But what I can promise you is what his promise is here, even in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then notice what he says. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal body, mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Brothers and sisters, we have confidence in that the greatest joy that could ever be imagined is freely given to us. The job of faith is to believe that is to believe that all the other joys, all the other expectations are lesser and that the greater expectation, the greater confidence can be had in Jesus Christ. So it's confidence for needs. Listen to Psalm 84. He says the same thing. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Since nothing can stand against us, brothers and sisters, we have abiding confidence for tomorrow. Confidence in joy and confidence in needs. That God's going to meet every need for tomorrow. I hope you can say for 2023, this is, this is your trusting in God's future grace for tomorrow. So we're going we're gonna to turn now, and I promised it last week, I really want to spend the rest of our time just hearing testimonies. And maybe the, maybe the Lord has a testimony of how he's shown his faithfulness to you in 2022. And as we look at, at how he's been faithful, we, we see his hope or the hope of future grace for tomorrow. So I'm just going to uh, step aside. And if you have time, that we're going to take about 15 minutes, probably about 11 o'clock. We're going uh, to finish and take communion. But I'm just going to open it up now, and anybody that wants to share a testimony, please just come forward, and you can share right here at the mic. Uh, and with that, you're free to come on up. So.